and love to see you guys here. I love our Sunday mornings together. I love that we're able to gather. Um, I'm very thankful for everybody who's joining us on Facebook, everybody who uh, checks in and checks out the messages. Uh, I just pray, pray, pray that they're a blessing to you as much as you guys are a blessing to me and just uh, so encouraging. It's all about God's word. It's all about getting together and fellowshipping and worshiping. And if you don't know who we are, what we're all about, we're all about following Jesus to the best of our possible ability and not being distracted by all the other trappings that can come along with what I would call a modern church. And that's not to say that there aren't modern churches out there, big churches with lots of programs that aren't led by the Holy Spirit. That is no way in what we're saying or what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when it comes time to us for, for us to move in what God has for us, that's when we will move in it. But in the meantime, we don't want to be trapped up in all the other things. There are churches, unfortunately, that uh, can get trapped up in all the other distractions that are not of God. You know, the programs and the money and the uh, smoke machines and laser light shows and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, and, and then at the, at the um, disposition of Jesus. You know, we are a Christ-centered church focused on the name of Jesus Christ and his word out of the Bible. And that's where we spend most of our time, if not all of our time. Um, so just a little, little introduction, a little something, and I think everybody here already knows that. So um, again, though, thank you for being with us. Uh, so moving on, it's kind of a, a carrying on of what we spoke about last week. I'll kind of recap that real quick. Check the time real quick here. <laughs> I kind of had titled last week kind of like the experiential progressive sanctification. And that sounds real scholarly and, and good, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's deep. That's deep. That's so uh, academic. Um, experiential being where we're at in life right now, you know, and progressive being God finishing the work that he started in us. And sanctification, the goal that we're striving for, and really that what God's will is for us. We talked last week about the three phases, and, and actually, real quick, I'm going to start with, with Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. You can meet me there or not, I would take a note, because I'm going to have you somewhere else later anyway. It's four by one sacrifice, he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. I love that phrase. That revelation has been on me for quite a while. I think it's been a word for this church for quite a while. That we are to continue on in this race. That, and I've heard it mentioned from people. I've dealt with this struggle myself. And, and I just think it's a really important thing to focus on is that when we were changed, we were brought from death to life. That work is done. And the devil is going to hit on that piece of truth, that golden nugget. That is the most critical thing we could possibly have. It's our salvation. It's our eternity. To know that we are saved by Jesus Christ and it is done. That we were incapable of saving ourselves anyway. But he did it. And when we received it, we received it fully and forever. It's done. So let's go back to that phrase. For by one sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. He has made perfect forever. Perfect forever. Now we are sitting here in our dilapidated state. We are sitting here in a broken world. Living this out in broken bodies. 
But when we come to meet him, we are going to set our iniquities down and we are going to pick up the righteousness of Jesus Christ and be presented to God as though we had never sinned. Ah, you made it through the gates, but barely. Thank goodness for that. All that other trash. Trying to outweigh and do more goods than we did bads. None of that has any value anyway. There's only one good thing that took place that brought us from death to life. And that was on the cross. By the only one that could do it. Do it. By Jesus Christ. An eternal sacrifice that accounts for eternal sin. That's what had to take place. And I'm not saying, and, and when I say that, I was trying to God, where are we going with this, God? Are, are you telling us that it's okay since we're saved that we can just abide in our sin? No, by no means. We are a work in progress. What I'm saying is when we fail, when we stumble, when, not if, when, when we make mistakes, when our minds go awry and our thought, thoughts are not heavenly, worthy, eternal thoughts, but temporal Mean, vicious, boastful, prideful, lustful, all those other things that zip through your mind, hopefully in and right back out. But sometimes they kind of linger a little bit. When those things happen, we repent and we go back. Because we have been brought into perfection that we, as we're going to pick up his righteousness. I and mean, what's this next phrase? Those who are being made holy. While we're here, we are being made holy day to day. And that's part of that process. As those thoughts come in, push them back out. That was a victory. Because outside of having the Holy Spirit, those thoughts would have had, wouldn't have had to come from outside anyway. They would have welled from inside. I love that revelation of man being uh, a, a physical man, uh, a spiritual man. We were designed to be fully, uh, let me get this right, soul, spirit, and flesh. Right? I love the revelation that Adam and Eve didn't drop dead physically in their body when they ate the apple, right? But their spirit died. They experienced a death. And then that whole line, because we all come from Adam and Eve, we were all in the flesh, just soul and flesh. And that's what we strive for, is just the appeasing of the flesh. But there's no spirit there. We were dead in the spirit. Not dying, not dying in sin, but dead in our sin. Dead in our spirit. There was nothing there. But God breathed it back to life on the day that we received Jesus Christ. And that Holy Spirit starts to well. And it, for me, again, I feel like it was a pinprick of light. But there was enough to go from death to life. It's like a dead ember is a dead ember. You can blow on it all day long. It's not going to go into flame. But an ember can be just almost nothing. Almost imperceptible. You fall asleep and you wake up and your fire's almost dead. And it gets a little bigger. And it gets a little bigger. Oh man, we need to start feeding this thing. And you start feeding it the bread of life, right? That little straw or something really just fine with a lot of air. And more breath. More breath. More breath. Flame. Oh, this is good. We can start feeding in the bigger things. And the bigger things. And the bigger things. And that starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then we just feed it and it grows into a bonfire. And I thank you, Lord, that you breathe that stinking little ember back into life. Does that make sense? There are things for us to do now. He's going to breathe that breath of life.
He's going to give us the coals and the, and, and the um, what do you call it when you just have little shavings? I'm not a country guy. Kindling. Thank you. Yeah. Kindling. You know? He's going to give that, and it's on us to just kind of, thank you, Lord. How do I, what do I do with this? How do I work this? How do I, how do I get this flame that you blessed me with to get bigger and bigger and stronger so that everybody can see it? So that everybody can come around and be warned by me. What is this faith you have? Where did this come from? Why don't I have this fire? How do I get this fire? It just blows me away. That I was so unworthy. And I am so unworthy. And I get that. But we are a new creation. And in that there is value. We have a new identity. We're not children of sin. We're not children of animal, uh, of Adam. We're, we're, we're children of Jesus Christ. And we're destined for an eternity with him as co-heirs in heaven, which still just amazes me. The finished work of the cross is salvation. It's done. That middle phase of sanctification is that maturity. And the glorification is the last days, and that's when we meet him forever. And we pick up his righteousness. The maturity is that middle phase, that experiential kind of uh, silly word. I'm just going to move over on that. That's where we are at right now. We have that ember in us that came from God because there was nothing we could possibly do. <clears throat> we have to deny ourselves and pick up his cross. And I think I alluded last time to the habits that we still have to get rid of. And again, it's another revelation I really believe God gave to me. It's like, why am, are we still wrestling with sin if we're a new creation? Right? That's a very basic question. I promise you, you're going to get asked that question out there. So here it is. I promise you, you've probably asked that question yourselves. I know I have, if not multiple times in the past, maybe even now. You know, why do we still sin? Because sin is still in this tent. Still a sin in, is still in this world. But when you were brought to life from, from death into life, that didn't change that. But I can tell the difference in me is I, wasn't, uh, I was in the past dead in my spirit and I was just made of sin. Sin welled up and out. It was about appeasing the flesh in any way whatsoever. Utilizing my mental facilities, using my character, my culture, my characteristics, everything I had available was fully dedicated to the appeasing the flesh. Right? And was comfortable with it. Maybe there were some bouts of conscience here and there. But the reality is I knew that the sinful nature that I was engaged in was welling from the inside and was fully who I was. Fully who I was. Changed into a new creation and that whole thing changes. All those sinful things, the thoughts, the ideas, the attitudes, the habits, the activities are responses to outside inputs. Does that make sense? In a world we're walking in that is specifically designed to appeal to the flesh and specifically designed to separate you from Jesus Christ and specifically designed to dilute the truth. Our body has a habitual response to that that's been cultivated over how many years? Through God, all things are possible. So it is not impossible to me that he could say, you're a changed man and you're totally different from that day on. And those stories do exist. But I also trust and believe that God knows better than me. 
And if he was going to miraculously change me, one, into a new being, which he did, but also into a new being that never dealt with sin, never had any issues, never had to wrestle with the flesh and the spirit and all that other stuff, then he would have done so. But the fact that he didn't leads me to believe that something would have went wrong with that. That he had to change me in his time because he knows the timing that when it's right. Does that make sense too? His methods and his timing are perfect. And that's what I rely on. But I also know that in that time, the devil can come in and say, oh, you did it again. Yeah, see, you were never saved from the get-go. I can tell you, if you are abiding in sin, then that might be true. And I'm not saying receive that from the devil. I'm saying look into your heart and make sure that's not the case. Maybe even reach out to a, a brother and get some prayer, get some counsel, and make sure... I know for me, and I know, I believe for everybody here, that that's not the case. That you are saved people, and that you are changed. You can walk out of the door, and you could stub your toe, and you could scream the F word. Yeah. You're like, wow, man, that pastor's telling me it's okay to scream the F word. I'm not saying it's okay to abide in that. I'm saying if you stub your toe, and you accidentally react by screaming out the F word, you're not going to lose your salvation. To tell you the truth, you're not even going to freak me out. I'm going to be like, ooh. That's not good. <laughs> you know, he's going to regret that. And I also know that you'll probably be like, man, I wish that wouldn't have happened. I can think of a time specifically that I was at a neighbor's house. And, of course, Jill knows this story because she was with me. And I may have told this story before. But our heart's desire, and, I'm, and this is not that long ago. It's not like I was a kid. This was not that long ago. I just fell into that bad habit of hanging out and running my mouth, which... Most people love to do, and I know I love to do also, also loved to do, and uttered some bad stuff. I'll just leave it at that. I don't have to give details. And I knew it the moment the word came out of my mouth. And I regret it to this day. <laughs> because what it did, it just totally compromised my testimony. I believe God can work through these things. I've repented. I believe he's forgiven me. And I've had multiple opportunities to speak to them about Jesus. And they know that we're believers of Jesus. And sometimes I wonder, well, how bad did that word affect my testimony to them? You know, it could have been critical. And maybe it was. I don't know. I know God will send somebody else if that's the case. And he'll forgive me. And that's fine. But my desire is to learn from that and never do it again. We're here in this CrossFit gym here, and we do double under sometimes. You know, two jumps for one swing of the rope. It's really fast. And it's fun, and I'm okay at it now, but you still end up whipping yourself in the leg every once in a while. They get these thin little cables. They go pretty fast. And, um, you know, it can get frustrating and kind of hurt. And that word can come up, <laughs> you know. But I'm surrounded by people I love. I'm surrounded by people I know love me too. But more importantly is, I'm surrounded by people that know I'm a pastor of a church. <laughs> you know? It's kind of like that thing of having my truth sticker on the back of my truck. And I want to flip the bird or get angry or this and that. And I'm like, ah, I can't. I got that stinking sticker on the back of the truck. Again, I thought about removing the sticker. And I go, no, I can't remove the sticker. I need to remove the attitude. That's probably the better route. In fact, it's getting older. And I'm like, I might have to scrape that sticker and make sure I get another one. You know? Who knows if there will come a time at which I use the excuse, hey, I don't have the sticker, I can do what I want. You know. <clears throat> we talked last time about thought. And I, I, 
it was speech and thought, and I think really as a new believer, and, and this is kind of the course I think we're on is, is and I think there's even a phrase, okay, we've been saved. I mean, can we celebrate that for a second? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You brought us to life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. And we do. We celebrate that. But Jesus, what next? And I think that's really where God's got, got us going right now. What next? When we bring people in order, because we've got to save people, what are we called to do? Make disciples of the nations. So we use our testimony, and we, and we live out the gospel so that people would be drawn towards it, right? We're fanning those flames. We're building up that fire so that people would be drawn towards it and start asking those questions. And that's great, because that's the first step. And we can say, this is who I was, and this is who God made me now. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, I've been saved, and I'm a new creation. And people can get excited and join in you and be like, I want to be like that too. I want to be saved. And you can bring them from death to life. And it's not us, it's the Holy Spirit that changed their hearts. But they were brought to it because God used us as an instrument to bring about that testimony that brought them to the questions of, man, I didn't know I was, in, I was dead. I didn't know I was a zombie. I thought I was good to go. I didn't know I was dead this whole time. And now you told me I'm dead? How do I become alive? Well, the ember's dead, but Jesus can do this thing. And they submit to it, and then the ember comes up. But we can't stop there. Because we're called to bring in and see salvations take place, and then we're called to shepherd people into maturity. Because we're all at different levels in our maturity, right? Our fires are at different sizes right now. And we're blowing and we're feeding and, and I can take some wood and, and hand it over and, and man, I'm struggling here and you, and you can bring some wood and hand it to me and, and help, help me feed my flame and get bigger and bigger. And together, we're a roaring conflagration. Is that the right word? It feels good. <laughs> and we can bring this whole city into salvation. We can bring this nation. Yeah, when we live in California, you start talking about burning everything down and get a little uptight. I'm talking about the fire of God bringing about life. And it can start right here at this, sting, this little ember. So as we bring people in, we've got to start talking about what's next. Because the enemy's going to surround that newborn with his little ember and say, man... You went right from getting baptized to going to the bar and getting drunk. And again, I'm not a guy that says having a beer here and there means anything. It's not even, I don't even think there's any sin in that. But say for some example, somebody who has a real problem with alcohol, right? And they come in here and they get saved. Oh my goodness, there's a, there's a member here. And they're excited and they're jumping around with us and they're from death to life and it's amazing. And they walk out and the world just pounces. And his buddies come around, hey man, we're going to the bar. And we know he's the guy that's always the funnest at the bar because he'll drink way too much because he'll do some inappropriate stuff and he'll start the fights and he'll end the fights and he's the party and the life of the party and all that stuff. And he's still reacting to that because he still has that habit, right? He was just born today. That's a newborn baby with what? Let's say 23 years of habitual drinking and partying and all the other things that are not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the very first thing he does when he gets outside these doors, he's going to get pounded by that. He's going to be influenced by that and probably go and do it. And what's the enemy going to say? Are you really alive? Are you a changed being? You just did the same exact thing you were doing before. Was that an emotional response you had? It wasn't salvation. My belief in that moment right there, and it's, I believe biblically sound, prove me otherwise, is right here. Four by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those 
That person that walked out of here is a saved man destined for eternity with God. So what does the enemy want to do? The enemy wants to compromise that testimony as much as he possibly can. And he also wants to discourage that young Christian as much as he possibly can. And when he walks out of here going, I have received the truth that I am saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, that truth is in him and welling. And the enemy wants to do anything he possibly can to dilute that truth, to call it into question, to call this young man's or woman's new identity into question and have them going, am I changed? I still want to go partying with the boys. I still want to go get in fights. That's why it's on us to be brought into maturity so that we can lead others into maturity also. So there are things we kind of need to start with. There's habits and characters and the mannerisms that need to change. And, and I do believe it, st it starts with speech. And I started with thinking last time. So I'm a little chronologically, I believe, out of order. But I think that it's amazing to me because I feel like the easiest thing that should happen is we should be able to close our mouths and stop talking coarsely. Right? It seems like that, right? Thoughts are going to enter. We're going to entertain thoughts. Into, but what does the Bible say? The Bible says the tongue is impossible to tame. I read that this morning and said, ooh, I'm backwards. <laughs> you know? But I still think it's the starting point. That as, no matter what's going on in here, nobody knows about it. Even the devil doesn't know your heart. He just knows what comes out of your mouth. There was an actor recently who said this really... I thought, pretty cool thing. He goes, I don't believe in ghosts. I believe in demons that know how to act like ghosts. And they can hear you, and they were with you when you were hanging out with your you know, family member from way back in the day, and they know things about you because they're around. Not to bring fear or anything like that. The cool part is they have no power over you. All they can do is take the word and distort it and do things to bring confusion and, 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 and dull the truth and all that stuff. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? So I don't believe in ghosts because there's no biblical standing for ghosts, you know. But there's biblical standings for demons to be around. But they don't know your heart. Jesus knows your heart. You know your heart. And if you act on it, well, now the devil knows too. Or the demon that was watching, right? And they're going to respond to that. Oh, look at you. You're not changed. You're not different. So from a personal perspective, uttering things or responding or acting in an unrighteous way gives power to the enemy. You know? What it does also do, and another, what the enemy wants to do, is compromise your testimony or your capability to bring others into life. Man. That's a, you could imagine from the perspective of the enemy, oh man, that dude's been brought back to life. He's out of my hands. I can't touch him anymore when it comes to eternity, but I need to keep this ember and ember. Yeah. You know? How do I do that? Compromise that testimony bring him into question, make him question his identity, make him question the truth of Jesus Christ. And that's where we combat that. I was reading something recently, he said the best, the, and I've heard this of course plenty of times, is the best defense, of his, defense is an offense. And I love it because it got me sparked up. I'm like, yeah, bring it on. Now I'm saying I can't do anything in my own power, but I can do all things through the power of Jesus Christ who dwells, dwells with inside me now. So when the enemy starts coming at our young Christians, when the enemy starts coming at us, yeah, there is a time to dig in and set up the machine guns. There is a time to bring up the shield. But that sword's there for a reason, and it's not a defensive weapon. Move forward. Get aggressive and hostile towards the schemes of the enemy. 
have that in your heart. I am in a, in a, in a combat mindset with the enemy right now. Yeah. We are called to bring people to be saved and lift them up into maturity that they would pick up their arms and be confident, bold warriors for Jesus Christ. That their fire would flame too. And when the enemy starts to move against us as a people, as a body, as, as believers, that he would meet stiff resistance and then be aggressively attacked until he has nothing to do but tuck his tail but run and run. Run out of San Clemente. Run out of California. Be gone. Because of the power that dwells within us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's unstoppable power. So when I talk about these demons, and the reason I'm bringing this up right now is because we're talking about demons and the devil and his plans. Remember, he has nothing on you who have the power of Jesus Christ dwelling inside. Nothing. All he can do is distort and contort and lie. And when he gets exposed, he runs, fleeing. And that's what we're going to do is expose that. But what we as a body need to do, and again, we talked about thoughts first. Take those thoughts and hold them captive and put them out of your mind. Then you don't have to worry about having such a strong filter. But let's start with the filter. Let's <laughs> go on down here, Matthew 26. And it just, it's amazing to me how speech is such an amazing gift and privilege from God. When God made all the animals and all the plants, nothing communicates like we do. Nothing has that capability. God spoke everything into being, and I think that's amazing that we were raised up as the image of God, and we spoke the names over all of his creations, and God said, this is good to go, and honored those names that we spoke. Does that make sense? We're like a reflection of him. He was speaking the universe into being, and what did he give us to us? Speech. And that speech had power because it named everything. And even God, our Father, the creator of everything, honored the names that we gave it. He didn't have to do that. That's amazing to me. But it also points out the importance of the spoken word. What do we do with our mouths? What do we do with our speech? The ideas and the perspectives and perceptions and the theologies and the simple things we convey to each other are so complex and then we have the complex philosophical conversations. And that's just from the spoken word. My wife is a speech pathologist, and, and I know she loves words and speaking and, speaking and, and sees the critical value of speech. And, and I love the history of different languages, and it blows me away how they've formed and changed and how they've been around for so amazing long, amazingly long. The written word, the spoken word, and just ideas and concepts being able to be verbalized and then received and then trained, changed back into thought again. It just, it's amazing. It's like this transfer of, of ideas that are like in somebody's brain. It, is that amazing to you as it is to me, or am I just the nerd up here? It's a thought or an idea in my head that can turn into airwaves that can change into vibrations that are received as the thoughts and ideas that were in my head. That is crazy to me. And that's just speaking. That could be something as simple as I'm hungry. To be able to have that idea go from stomach to head to mouth to ear to mind to I'm hungry too. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, that was pretty simple. Now let's talk about uh, the, the principles of cause and effect and all that kind of stuff and, or experiential progressive sanctification and all that stuff. <laughs> it is amazing me how critical and powerful the, this, this, this thing is. And I never gave it all that res any respect, quite frankly. 
Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 tells us, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Thank you, Jesus Christ, because I have a lot of accountability. I think about the words, the careless, foolish, stupid, sometimes purposely hurtful words that have come out of my mouth. And quite frankly, it brings me to a place of humility at very least, but outright shame most of the time. Start early. I love my wife's thing. She came up, well, didn't come up with it, brought it to me, and it just sticks, is the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is right now. Tame our tongues. Now, what does God say about that? It's impossible to tame your tongue. Okay, so if you, it just goes back to the, if you don't have something nice to say, then close your mouth. Let's start there. All right? It's like that, that first, I've been saved today. Okay, let's start with language. Do you lose your salvation over saying the F word because you zipped yourself in the leg with a double under rope or stubbed your toe? No, of course not. Is God going to forgive you for that? Of course he is. But if we can stop talking coarsely, then we're not proposing negativity in the world. We're not speaking death. We might not be speaking life yet because we've just been saved and we're still working through this, but at least we're not speaking death, right? <clears throat> it amazes me sometimes what kind of things we as people boast about. I've definitely transitioned here. I realize I've, I've transitioned from thought to speaking <laughs> without actually transitioning. So we're talking about the spoken word now. I think we covered thinking last week pretty well. But the things that we boast about as a people just amazes me. I'll even give you a quick example before I even go on this. It, it became really popular, I think, over time to say, I'm a multitasker. I'm awesome. I'm a multitasker. Oh, I'm highly active. I'm a multitasker. Da, 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 da. What I realized is there are some people that can do a lot of things well, but they're not separating their concentration on those activities. They're prioritizing those activities. They're delegating and then supervising those activities. And then they're concentrating because they prioritize their effort of work one at a time and ending up at the end of the day with many activities accomplished well. But that's a small fraction of people. <laughs> I think most people that like to proclaim, yeah, I'm a multitasker, and you're supposed to go, wow, he's got a lot of energy, and he can think about a lot of things at the same time, or she's like an organizer that can run around and get a bunch of things done well. But what you have is a large portion of people that are bragging about being able to do a whole lot of things poorly. We call it a, spacti a spastic blur of activity while actually accomplishing nothing. <laughs> you know? So it turned into this thing to brag about, but the reality is, unless in a very small situation, that's true. So a lot of times I have people that say, yeah, I'm a multitasker, and I'm like, oh, here's one thing and just do that. Move on. You know? And I know I'll tell you right now, I'm not a multitasker. I have to delegate, and I have to do one thing at a time, and I got a piece of paper, and I try and, that's oh, a side note, but anyway, maybe it'll help you. I try, I get burdened with a whole lot of things at once, and I start trying to multitask accidentally, and I have to stop. I have to breathe, I have to pray, and then I have to bust out that piece of paper and write them all down and say, one, two, three, four, five. I'm ignoring everything else and starting with one, two, 
three and the day's over usually and four and five are gonna have to roll into tomorrow but at least those three were done well you know so if that's you then grab a hold of it if you're an awesome multitasker and you can do that stuff hey good on you good on you but i think you're the minority um but another thing i think it's really weird and interesting that we as people i'm talking about the whole population generally speaking people like to say like this is men and women i've heard it from both yeah i don't have a filter you know, I speak what's on my mind. If I see something I believe it's true, I just say it like it is, man. And, and I don't have a filter, and I don't even think about it. So I'm a, So what we're supposed to say is, well, this is a stand-up guy. And he really always speaks the truth. And, man, what they say is definitely what they think. And that's cool, man, that there's no question about where we stand with this person. And I've come to the point that I truly believe that most of those people, if you truly don't have a filter... And you truly just speak like that. You're not a speaker of truth. You're not a stand-up person. You're just a jerk. Or you're a baby, an infantile baby. Yeah. We had this event last night, and there was a speaker up here trying to speak. And we had a lot of kids running around acting crazy. It was pretty funny, actually. But one of the kids just ran up there and said something in the middle and ran off. And that kid had no filter. <laughs> <laughs> and it was funny. And it was fun. You know, and it was okay because he's a kid, right? But because he's going to have to mature and grow up and realize there are times to speak my mind and there's times not to. And there's also ways to speak my mind that are not offensive but still get the truth out there, right? We're called to speak the truth. We're called to speak life. We're called to, if there's times to offend, it's in the vein of Jesus loves you. And I have to come against this worldly thing because it leads to separation from God forever. Not, well, there's many phrases that have come from Christian people or people pretending to be Christian people that are just all death, you know? And there's that balance of standing on the truth and there are times to stand your ground and say, I cannot bend in this because this is the truth. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, you know? And you can come out with me with that's hateful speech, that's hate speech, that's this and that and everything. But that truth will not change. You know? But there's ways and means to use speech to bring life, and there's ways and means to bring death. There's ways and means to take your, your words and create a wall, and there's ways and means to use your words to bring a bridge. And we're called to build relationships and bring bridges. To those that love us and to those that hate us. That those that, to those that want the truth and those that don't want the truth. But we're called to speak our, our testimony and bring about life and bring about the truth of Jesus Christ into this world. So it makes disciples of the nations. In my mind's eye, that's everybody. Not all will come. Not all will receive. But I don't know who that is. So I'm just called to open my mouth and speak the truth. And speak life. Those that are jerks. <laughs> there are so many proverbs, it was awful, almost overwhelming. So I would say, and I'll even read a couple of them, and I'll just touch on the, I mean, you do a search on Bible Gateway or whatever Bible software you use of tongue, and it is just pages and pages and pages and pages. But the proverbs and, and psalms are really awesome. It, it's poetic, what it says about the spoken word in the tongue. And we'll touch on that in a little bit. But it's amazing to me, too. It's like, I remember one time, oh, yeah. my, my parents got me a really awesome bicycle. 
I had worked every weekend for them for a year building this house to flip a house and all this stuff and, and um, gave up all my weekends and it was miserable. But anyway, in the end, they bought me this really cool BMX bike, you know? And I remember being with my friends and we were joking around and like rolling our bikes off this ditch and, and stuff like that. And I think about that now and I go, what a disrespectful use of such an amazing, cool gift, you know? Disrespectful to my parents, disrespectful to the money, time, and effort, and work that went into that, and such a waste and an inappropriate use of such an awesome piece of gear. You know, it was a really cool bike, by the way. It was a Diamondback mini bag, and it was chrome and blue and awesome. You know? And I only thought about that today because I was thinking about, as I, this amazing gift of the power of life and death out of my mouth and the times that I just rolled it off of a ditch, right? And I'm just like, Lord, thank you for that you've forgiven me, but man, I feel so convicted about it that I gotta ask for forgiveness again. To say, Lord, I'm so sorry for chopping firewood with this amazing double-edged sword you gave me to wield and bring life. I know that seems weird, but bring life. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit, whether that's death or life. But that, those who love it, and I can tell you, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one, I'm sure there's most of us, but I know for me, I have this habit, when I was a young Marine, drinking with the boys, I would love to hold court. You know, I would love to run my mouth and speak nasty and tell dirty jokes and come up with stuff to keep the life of the party going. Or uh, uh, somebody else had talked about, I don't want to use his name, but I also used to just like use it to cut people down, you know, because everybody else was laughing. And then I would get on it and start coming up with quips and fast ways to rip somebody up and cut them down and, and all that stuff. And uh, I look back at that and I go, man, that was all death. It was all death. And I loved it because I was in that state of wanting the attention, right? I was still in that. There was no spirit there. There was just my soul and my flesh. And it was all about appeasing the flesh. And at that moment, I was the life of the party. So I would use this tongue. I would use this spoken word to do everything I could to be that guy, you know? And I loved it. And it takes a, those who love it, love it will eat its fruits, whether that's fruits of life or fruits of death. Words can cause spiritual, emotional, and physical life or death. I'm going to start with spiritual. We're called to use our voices to speak the truth of the gospel to bring people from death to life. That people would come in and ask and receive the moving of the Holy Spirit that that ember would breathe into life. But we can also use our mouths to speak blasphemy and hypocrisy and bring death. Hypocrisy. What can we do? We can do a simple little thing like be at our neighbor's house and, and start to fall into that trapping of wanting to be liked or this and that or the old habits, again, of the body of wanting to say just crass things because it's cool or funny. And next thing you know, I brought about hypocrisy. I've compromised the truth of the gospel right there by myself and my words. That's how powerful this weapon is we've been given. That's how powerful this gift is we've been given. And that's the accountability that comes with the privilege of wielding this weapon. You know? 
I know I'm kind of getting serious, but we have to be serious about this point. I think it's more serious than I realized until later in life. I think it's more serious than, I think we don't take it seriously enough. Even if you take it seriously, I'd say re-examine it. Because it's every word, every careless word. It can be critical. And we're all in this together again. I don't have it figured out. I have my moments. Hang in there. Hang tough. God will still forgive you. You haven't lost your salvation. Be done with those lies of the enemy. But if we're going to help other people fan their embers into flames, then we have to tame this tongue to the best of our ability. That we have to speak life and not death. We don't want to find ourselves accidentally on the side of the enemy, compromising the gospel because we wanted to be liked or have fun at this stupid party. Right? We can seek to encourage or break down. We can lift somebody up. We can lift somebody's spirits when they're down. Or we can sink them farther into death and despair. We can crack on somebody and make them feel bad about themselves and make them compromise or feel bad about or question their identity and stuff and want to clam up and shut down and sink into sorrow or despair. Just with our words. But at the same time, that same power can bring somebody who's having a terrible day and just put our arms around and say, I love you, brother. Jesus loves you. What do you need? How can I help? Let's talk this out. How have you guys ever been down and just talked to a friend that you know is that type of guy that's always like, Lift, uplifting and encouraging. We should be doing that for each other, definitely as married couples, that's for sure. And it's amazing how often that doesn't happen in married couples. That should be the tightest one right there. Man, I'm hurting. I'm hurting. I'm having a terrible day. And then as you talk it out, sometimes it just kind of works out. One, you feel better about it because you got it all out. You know, and two, a lot of times as we're talking to each other, we're getting other ideas. Oh, that makes sense. And we're also speaking it out and it's coming back in and you're starting to kind of work it out and feel better. But that has to come to a place, from a place uh, where you know your partner that you're talking to and that's an encouraging person. Because that very same person or yourself could be like, just suck it up. That's stupid. Well, you're never going to do good there. Well, of course you had a bad day because you're a jerk. You know, whatever. You know, and that's just kind of make you sink back down into yourself, you know. That's just from the spoken word that can change somebody else's total countenance and attitude can change how they react and act the very next day in the same situation. So where's that going to come from? Is it coming from a place of life or death? How does God speak to us? I love you. I forgive you. I'm going to give you the power to get over this. Trust me. We can be speaking. God loves you. He's already forgiven you. I love you too. Oh, let's check this out. Let's try that. I mean, all those things. You're good at this. No, they don't hate you. They love you. That one person said that because they got a problem with that. It has nothing to do with you. You know, all those things. There's a million different examples throughout our lives we'll go through where we have that opportunity to speak life and lift somebody up. We can hurt somebody with lying and slander and gossip. And there's that physical life and death. And I was like, oh, how does that work? And I kind of looked around for examples and I was like, yeah, there's definitely examples. Here's a simple example. You can find somebody on the ledge of a bridge about to kill themselves and you can talk them off it through the power of the words. How many times has that happened? Not to us, but overall, right? That people have been talked out of suicide, talked out of despair. 
reading a book that's pretty darn complex and it's got a lot of big words. So, But it talks a little bit about the principle of causality. And there's some examples in there. One's really awesome because it goes, well, the cue ball was knocked by the stick, the cause and the effect, and it went down, right? But then he said, but there's also so much more because the cue ball was placed. The person figured out the angles. That was a cause also of where it went. Had to put a hand there with muscles and muscle tissue and everything that goes along and the coordination and getting the stick and placing the stick and sliding the stick back and sliding the stick forward. And those are all individual causal things that came to this effect. There can be a time in somebody's life that we speak life that builds on life, that builds on life, that builds on life, that builds on life. There be times we can speak death, and there's other people speaking death. There's other situations and circumstances that lead to a suicide. I, I think of those stories, terrible, terrible stories, of kids bullying each other online, and, and, and a young girl kills herself because she's so bombarded with this hate speech and hate and anger, and it's just despair and death and death and death. And it breaks my heart. We don't want to be a part of that. We can speak people into violence. Not even just suicide, but again, that causal effect. We can be involved in evil things, and that's where the evil things are conveyed, right? And there's even plenty of them in the Psalms where evil people will come up with evil plans and speak those plans from their lips, that spoken word that was given by God that leads to somebody ambushing somebody on the road and killing them for money or for revenge or for anything else. How many times are feuds that lead to death started with a word that was disrespectful or a word that was hateful that leads to somebody getting killed? So absolutely, absolutely, the power of the tongue can lead to physical life and physical death. And that is the criticality of this gift, and this privilege, and this blessing that we've been given. But that accountability is big. Again, bigger than I ever realized for most of my life up to fairly recently, I would say. After I was saved, I was still probably running my lips and speaking death and not even realizing it. Because I thought, it's just words, who cares? The power of the tongue to me is uh, as we have these senses and you're driving in your car, you can speak yourself into life and death. Because as you're talking it, you're manifesting it, but the idea is out there and it's going right back in your own ears. I talk to myself a lot, by the way, but there was one time I think Justice was in the back of my car. This is when he was pretty young. And I really have these conversations. Should I even dime myself? <laughs> I can't be the only one, right? These conversations will go on and they're intricate conversations because I'll play the dead bull's advocate. I'll be running a scenario that's either coming up or has passed that I could have done better or something. And I'm thinking about it, but next thing you know, I realize I'm verbalizing it and I'm verbalizing the other characters in the story, real characters, people. And I'm working this out and I'm working it out loud and animated. And I remember one time I was like, didn't even realize I'd slipped from the mind into the verbalization. It was talking and getting angry and then getting okay and then working through the sink. And I realized Justice is back there the whole time. But he was pretty young and he was just like, whoa. And uh, I was like, I, 
always have to remember if somebody's in the car. What if it was somebody else? What if it was, you know, he was young enough that I think he probably forgot? I don't know, maybe. But man. <laughs> but I still use it, I'll tell you, so you know. You know. And I'm either praying, or I'm singing, or I'm talking to myself, working something out. You know? And I think that is critically important. As here... Even, and I'm just talking about some small examples of the simple power all the way up to the big power of life and death. Simple power of being the guy here in the gym. I used to like hang out and we would joke around about how terrible a workout was going to be. And, uh, but it was out of fun and we all care about each other and we would joke about it. And I realized, you know, there is still value to that, positive or negative. Even in a just joking stance. Oh man, that's, yeah, like that's going to be easy. <laughs> You know, when they say, oh, you're going to do a million of these and a thousand of those and then another million of those. But, oh, that's great. That's going to be fun. Ha, ha, ha. And everybody jokes. But the reality is it's so much better if you come in and say, no big deal. Ah, easy day. Oh, I see you put the easy one up on the whiteboard today. Good to go. And you know that's not true. <laughs> you know, it's going to be hard. But it lifts people up and it lifts me up. When I speak it, I receive it. You know, and it changes my attitude. Right. It changes that thought process again. And I can fake myself into believing that I'm okay with what's up there. And then, once I start going, I am okay with what's up there. But if I start out even trying to joke around, well, I say it and I receive it here. You know? Believe and receive. Speak it and receive it. That's not necessary. That's not true. That's trash. I want to... I don't want a Lamborghini. I want a Shelby Cobra. And it's there. No. But if you speak it out, you can receive it here. And you can receive it here. And your body can receive it and react to it in the manner in which you received it. Right? I'm not talking mumbo-jumbo, psychobabble or anything like that. I'm saying there's power in the things that come out of your mouth. Especially to the ears that they go to. To include your own. Right? The seals have like some sayings that are pretty cool. and they'll, I mean, well, one I was, uh, heard and it was just like, easy day. You know, easy day. So they're about to do something awful or something rough or something challenging and the answer is, oh, easy day. Easy day. Or another one is good times. You know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. We're gonna, I kind of, we, as Marines and on my last appointment, we would, oh, good times, good times. Okay, it's good times. Oh, we're going to crawl around through that and then we're going to hike over that and then we're going to carry this heavy thing. Good times. Looking forward to it. Love it. Embrace the suck is what it was called. Embrace it. Embrace it. Don't be like, that's going to be terrible. You just say, oh, embrace it, man. Get on the pain train. <laughs> Get on the pain train. Ride the supper bus. But you ride the supper bus with a smile with your boys. It's fun. It's good. But you have to be in that place, and you have to verbalize that stuff. Get on the supper bus, boys. It's going to be good. It's going to be a good day. Ah, easy day. You know, easy day. And that's just simple little physical examples. But it's the same here. You know? We got COVID, we got this, we got that. We got all kinds of chaos. And the reality is when we speak those things, we can contribute that or we can contribute to life. I'm going to have to move on because, again, this, I got, what, three pages, two and a half pages of notes, and I knew, God, you are giving me a lot of stuff here. And I, I just, I really want to get back into the Word and, and back all this up right now. So I'm going to, if you would, just meet me in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Go through it pretty quick here. I got a couple songs, a couple proverbs. Proverbs. I used to always call proverbs proverbs, and my wife has with me so much about it. I guess I corrected it. 
Wait, now I'm confused. Is it Proverbs or Proverbs? Proverbs, right? James chapter 3, verse 1. Start there. Taming the tongue, simple enough, right? Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. That's not just me. That's us, elders. That's us, you know, guys that have been around, girls that have been around a while and are saved, that are one day going to be called to see somebody saved and bring them into maturity. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who, has never, who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. In check. Who is perfect? None of us. And who is always able to keep their whole body in check? None of us. But God is. Jesus is. Jesus is worthy and he is able. And he is gracious and he is forgiving. So fight the fight and if you stumble, pick back up. Go back to repentance and carry on with the work at hand. When we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set up. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Again, the criticality of knowing that we're not going to be completely able to, to uh, tame our tongue because the Bible says so. But we've got to do everything we possibly can to manage this thing to the best of our ability because it does have the power of life and death. We're talking about here, it is itself lit on, um, on fire. This is still a physical body. The devil can't control you. He doesn't have that power, but he can influence and he can lie and he can fake us into believing that this isn't important. And that's the point at which we'll go ahead and just run our lips. There are some pretty interesting, I think it's almost kind of funny, but sad, but interesting. It's like when it talks about, I don't know if I have one of those in here, but it says like the flattering lips of a liar or the, and the flapping lips of those who have, don't have the power of the tongue, their mouths are like open graves. It's all these imageries of ridiculousness and foolishness and evil and, and death and lying and darkness when we don't have the Holy Spirit running this thing. Because the devil does what? He takes what God has made and he perverts it. This is a God-given thing. This mouth, this ability, this privilege, this weapon is a God-given thing that is critically valuable. So if we say we're going to get hostile and offensive towards what the enemy's doing, if we're going to have a good offensive-defensive strategy, then we've got to look at what is critical to the enemy. The enemy is very, very focused on making you misuse this weapon. If this is important to the enemy, then it's important to shut him down and not let him have control over it. Does that make sense? And clearly it's important to God because he says so many, many times. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. It is restless evil full of deadly poison. Man, this thing. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. And with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. 
forgive us, Lord. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? No. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Lord, we just want to be people that spring forth fresh water. Let us speak the words of life. Let us be fountains of the truth. I love that imagery of the pipe may be rusty, but the water is pure. Lord, help us to have the discipline that when our tongue wants to go wagging into lies or maliciousness or foolishness, that you would clamp down on it, that it would stick to the roof of our mouth. There's some of that phrasing in here. Lord, let my tongue stick to the top of my roof of my mouth so that I would not utter anything against you. That I would not utter anything that brings death. But when it's time for me to wield this weapon, Lord, I depend on you, Father God, for the discipline and the wisdom to use this speech well. That people would be brought in and they would have that ember brought back to life by the power of Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Love you, Lord. Let our words be the breath of life that, that fans that ember back into flame as we bring people from salvation into maturity. Just like you're working that maturity in us now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Just going to hit a couple psalms real quick. Psalm 34. Keep your tongue, tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. And again, if you want to read these, there's a lot of them. Psalm 52. You love every harmful word, you deceitful tongue. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. There are six things the Lord hates. And this phrasing blows me away. That If God specifically says there's something he hates, we better pay attention. Haughty eyes. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in his community. And two of those right there, a lying tongue and a false witness who pours out lies. Two of them are specifically pointing right at the power of the tongue. Proverbs 15, the soothing tongue is a tree of life but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Uh, back up, because I do want to end this on a good note. <laughs> the tongue is evil and wicked on its own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit and the discipline that comes from our maturity in Jesus Christ, and as we look and act and operate more like Jesus, then the soothing tongue is a tree of life. There are also many, many Psalms and Proverbs that talk about the words bringing peace. The words that extinguish the fire of hate and violence. The words that bring about life and not death. That we encourage, that we lift up. Lord, again, one more prayer. Father God, actually, if you would, let's just stand and pray together. and Lift God up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for this weapon. Thank you, Jesus, for this privilege, this ability. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for meeting us here today. 
we profess with these very lips and the speech of our mouths that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. That salvation comes through the way and the truth and the life, the name of Jesus Christ, name above all names, the only name by which man can be saved. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you for saving us. And as you bring us into maturity, Lord, tame our tongues. Again, we say again, if, if we're about to say something slanderous or wrong or something that's out of alignment with your will, Lord, I pray our tongue gets stuck to the roof of our mouth and it can't even come out. And Lord, when you release it, we speak life. And we see the fruits of the Holy Spirit as we speak your life into a lost and dying world. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And again, we proclaim, Jesus is King. And we love you. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. We love you, Lord. And thank you, guys. Um, don't have to run off. There's still some coffee and a little bit of trees back there. And if you're online with us, thank you for joining us. And if you're watching the recording, thank you for joining us. And have a wonderful week.